He's grouchy. He's grouchy and obnoxious. And like, I don't know if you know this, AC, but he. (laughs) (laughs) That's my best. That's exactly what he sounds like. Did you know that he was the 2012 Libertarian governor candidate for Indiana? No. No. to Can't Let It Go, a deep dive into the things stuck in our heads. My name is Matt. I use he, him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, And today we are going to talk about a specific season of Survivor, sort of as a follow-up to our episode last time about the Beacock show, The Traitors. Yes. But first, as we... Or want to do we have <laughs> we have a nugget actually i think we have a couple nuggets sure ac you brought up uh something that you wanted to mention oh yeah i mean i feel like this is just gonna be the ongoing saga because presumably this will be happening for a, a long time but right uh hank green made another video about having cancer specifically um you know deciding to cut his hair in a specific way um, and Hank, in Hank's video, he talks about basically getting a mohawk and what he owes to his 14-year-old self. And it is, it's just a really sweet little short piece of media. I actually, John's video immediately preceding it has also been stuck mm-hmm. in my head because in it, uh, in John's video preceding it, he does this shot where he's like the, he, there's two of him in the frame. He does the like doubling thing and he says something to, along the lines of like, Wherever I go, my I I always find myself there, um, right? Like, myself is always with me. Um, and I have had the phrase, um, wherever you go, there you are, stuck in my head for the last couple of weeks. So anyway, just like the Green Brothers continue to make media that's like thought-provoking and touching to me, especially like as a young person who was also like ostensibly a queer teenager and felt that they couldn't have their hair in certain ways, which is like ironic if you know me because... I've had such colorful and fun hair for so many years, but like it took me to age 25 or 23 or 25 ish to decide that like I could have my hair the way that I wanted it to be. And I'm 33 I could, and I'm not there. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right, right. I mean, I have pink hair as of this recording. Yeah. I've had hair almost every color of the rainbow. I've had a side cut with one half of my head shaved and the other half of my hair long. Um, you know, and people have often asked me for advice of like, how do you have this kind of the kind of hairstyles, like sort of punk adjacent hairstyles that you have while still having these professional jobs and an industry like politics or, you know, nonprofit work. And the answer is like, you just do. And I don't know, Hank's takeaway from it is like that he doesn't owe anything to his 14 year old self other than like, loving them and caring them for who they were and also how they helped like shaped the person that he's become. And I just really love that sentiment. Yeah. When my aunt had cancer, um, she really wanted a pixie cut, um, had always wanted a pixie cut, but was like scared of short hair. Yeah. Right. Um, and him talking about how he wanted a mohawk for the longest time, just straight up. I was like, Oh, I was there the day that my aunt went to the salon and got a pixie cut. And yeah. Sure. And he posted on Instagram later, like, this is going to last five days. My hair's falling out so fast. Right. Ugh. That's exactly what happened to her. Right. Yeah. She had to shave her head five days later. 
Um, but I don't know. It was just an interesting uh, sort of parallel of experience there. Yeah. On a slightly lighter note, yeah. Um, the <laughs> second season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds is out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and it continues to be the best Star Trek thing that I've ever consumed. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've said this on the show, but I've said it to you. I know I have, I was not really a Star Trek person. Okay. Um, it's not like, dis, it's not like I dislike Star Trek. It's sure. not that, um, it's none of that. Like I, I enjoyed watching the episodes that were on TV growing up. Yeah. But I was never like into it, into it the way that I was Star Wars. Maybe in like reaction to Star Wars going the direction it has. Sure. Uh, and maybe not. Uh, I, I picked up watching Star Trek The Next Generation um, a couple years ago and finally finished it. And the number one thing I wanted to do after I finished The Next Generation was watch Strange New Worlds. And that was a blast of like three evenings. Yeah. <laughs> Just like powering through that first season. And I'm so happy the first season is back or the second season is back. The first episode was like a perfect way to come back to those characters. And... I will, this might be like shallow of me, but I have no desire to watch the original series. Oh. Just like, <laughs> yeah. just because it's kind of old. It's kind of dated. Sure. You know what it, I mean? I mean, and, it is. It yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> and like, I don't really want to watch it, but this is kind of like my way to get into that world. For sure. And I think that it's like, that makes a lot of sense to me, honestly. The original series especially is like, if you have the nostalgia for it, it is, you can make it through. But I think that that like if you're a new watcher, it, it is much harder to digest. Even if you enjoy really enjoyed Next Generation or mm-hmm. even um, Voyager, you know, it just yep. is it's just harder to digest. All right. Well, with that, let's talk about Survivor. Ooh, can you hit that yell one more time? <laughs> Wait, before we do, Matt, I have okay. to tell you one other thing. That's just okay. a funny little anecdote. Okay, <laughs> Matt, um, as a you know a, a new podcaster, I've been upping the number of podcasts that like I listen to on a regular basis, and I've always been like a casual listener with a few shows that I really tune into a lot. A couple of these shows, you know, I listen to regularly with my partner, you know, while we're doing tasks around the house or driving in the car. And um, the other day we were listening to an episode of Maintenance Phase and my partner said, AC, why are you listening to this sped up? And I said, I'm not. It's at normal speed. This is the speed that it's always set to. What are you talking about? (laughs) And she said, no, it's definitely sped up. And I said, it's not. And then we looked, and it turns out, Matt, I have been listening to every podcast I have listened to for the last, I'm going to say, as long as I've had this phone, which is, you know, two two and a half years, Mm -hmm. um, at 1.25 speed. (laughs) Um, and it turns out that all of my favorite podcasters don't actually talk extremely fast like I thought they did. (laughs) And, um, she pointed out, she said, um, you didn't notice when the theme songs were a little off? And I was like, well, I just always assumed that, like, it was just a, my hearing is bad thing because my hearing is not great. Mm -hmm. No, it turns out it's, um... They were slightly modulated because you kind um, of accidentally did the thing to yourself that a lot of people do on purpose, which uh-huh, is they listen yeah. to all their shows sped up <laughs> and then they like hear the people talking and they're like, Lord, you're so slow. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think that part of it is that I myself have a bad habit of talking too quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it would just seemed normal to me. And no, it turns out that, um, Michael Hobbs is not a speed demon when he speaks. Um, <laughs> He's just a normal fast talker. Yes. So that's so funny. Anyway, 
I just needed to tell you that here on our podcast. If you're listening yeah. to this at 1.25 speed, I hope you think of me. I will say I am a uh, podcast speed. What's the word? Purist. Purist. That's the <laughs> word. I am a 1.0 for life. And I used to judge people for doing more than that. I've grown as a person since uh, since the times where I cared about what speeds other people sure, listen to their podcast. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we can talk about now Survivor. Now we can talk about now Survivor. Now we can talk about Survivor. Oh, sorry. For me and you, actually, let me just ask this. Last we talked, you were surprised that I had like put in the effort to go watch The Traders. Did you watch any of this season? I did. Okay, here is what I learned while watching uh, Survivor uh, Vill- Heroes versus Villains. Um, I am not built for watching TV <laughs> where the seasons are 20 plus episodes long anymore. Yes. <laughs> because I really thought that I was making a lot of progress, Matt, because I watched... 11 episodes. Oh, so you saw the best parts. Th- yes, I, I think that I did see some of the best parts. So I've seen yeah. past the merge. Okay. Um, just past the merge. So they merged, I guess that would be episode 10, I think they merged, right? Because mm-hmm. that's when there's 10 of them left. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I, you know what? I have really enjoyed it. It is, it is, it is enjoyable if there are some cringeworthy moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got him in my notes. We're going to talk I about it. I can't him. wait. I, I think I'm very excited. And I will say right up front, don't care if you spoil for me the ending. I knew this. The show came out 13 years 13 ago. 13 years ago. That is, uh, so that's one of the fine. things I wanted to say from the jump is <laughs> last time we did this big old spoiler warning where we were like, hey, we're not going to talk about how things go. And then we will. And we'll put that in the show. This time, this show came out 13 years ago. Mm-hmm. I cannot talk about my feelings about this show without immediately telling you who the final three are. Please. I can't wait. Because I actually don't know, but I can't wait to learn in this moment from you. I Great. was actually so excited for awesome. that. I also, like, I was I was worried that I was going to come. I was like, either they watched nothing or they watched all of it. And I have no <laughs> idea how to prepare for either of those. And the fact that you've watched, like, half of it is perfect for what Delightful. I Delightful. I love to be perfect. You know me. I love a gold <laughs> star, okay? Yeah. Uh, so I will just share quickly my history with Survivor, which is that I started watching the show um, with Survivor Australia. That's season two. So if you wa- are watching Heroes versus Villains, Colby was the runner up on that season. And I watched the show pretty religiously through All Stars, which was season eight. Again, people on this season that were kind of in there, there's a lot actually. Um, Boston Rob, Sandra was the winner of season seven. Yeah. Um, and uh, Rupert was on season seven, uh, but uh, was also on All Stars. Boston Rob's wife, I believe, won All Stars. Uh, Amber. Amber. Yeah. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of like classic survivor returning people yeah. um, on this season. I will say, my. My interest in Survivor started to wane after All Stars. Um, I did watch full seasons of the show, like here and there. I cannot tell you what seasons those were. Like, yeah. <laughs> I know that I know people from them, but mostly I would watch like the first five episodes of a season and then get bored and, sure. and not really keep up on it. I was like in high school and early college at the time. Like, I was just, my interests were changing. You know, yeah. I was becoming a different person. Yeah. Um, but I watched. Season 20, Heroes vs. Villains, during the COVID lockdown, and it was incredible, and I've not watched any more after that. So, I think I want to say, you said one time on the show, I am not an expert, I'm just here to talk shit, and that is exactly how I feel about Survivor. 
I know that there's a whole new era of fans past season 20. Yeah. And I'm sure those shows, like those seasons are great. I know nothing about them, so I'm sorry. Like my yeah. context is not there. We're here to talk about specifically somehow season 20, which came out in 2010. Yes. When we were 20. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will also say, Matt, that watching these episodes did kind of jog my memory. I think that... Survivor, because it was on, you know, broadcast television in the evenings. And I grew up in a household where we mm-hmm. did not have cable. We were pretty limited to what was on, you know, the the standard networks um, in the evenings. I think I watched um, Boston Rob's Survivor season oh, okay. because I knew I was like, oh, Boston Rob and Amber. I know who those people are. I remember him. I remember that they were, I remembered, like, that they were married. Like, I mm-hmm. I had all of this, like, information secretly locked away that I didn't know was there. So that was surprising to me. The rest of them I did not um, recognize. But That's probably season four then, right? Because that was, that was his first season. Yeah. Um, I will say a thing I used to do as a kid was I was so obsessed with the show. Um, our local CBS affiliate, um, Channel 6, you know this, AC, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> broadcasts on the radio. Right. Mostly for weather alerts. But if we needed to go do something, right, maybe we were going to church on a Wednesday night and there was a survivor episode on, I would turn the radio to the radio station that was Channel 6 and like listen to Tribal Council or something like that. Like that is a memory I have doing that. I mean, Multiple tens of times. That's a throwback that lets you know that we're millennials. Is that we used to listen to the TV on the radio sometimes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We just had some big storms here in Tulsa last night. And uh, I was thinking about how would I listen to that local CBS affiliate (laughs) on the radio? Because I know they still stream weather broadcasts. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we lost power for about half an hour last night, but Rough. we're okay. Yeah. Our house is okay. A lot of other people are not in this yeah. city. So anyway, what I want to do here today is specifically talk about this season of Survivor, the Survivor that I was a fan of to you, AC, and to the listener who may or may not have spent time with this series. And specifically, I want to compare and contrast it to the Traders. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, this is a direct response to our Traders episode. A hundred percent. Unlike that episode, like I said, we are going to spoil, but also I do want to get really into the personalities of these people because I think Survivor is a show that is built on those personalities even more so than I think other reality shows, right? A lot of it is either stripped away or the survival aspect really brings that stuff out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And I don't think I could get through this episode without talking about Parvati. Like, I love her. Please. (laughs) Also, something we talked about on on the Traders episode was sort of like the mechanics of the show and how like they were new to you, but I saw some of the origination in Survivor. I definitely want to bring that up. And there's going to be a time to talk about challenges, but I have specific thoughts about like how those challenges compare and why and why they're sort of different in both shows. Makes sense. So what is Survivor Heroes versus Villains? Like we've said a few times, it's the 20th season of Survivor. Um, This is not even close to the first time that they've had returning survivor uh, <laughs> players season eight, like I said, was all stars. Yeah. But to me, and, and, you know, I, I did some even reading on the stuff that I hadn't seen between eight and 20. And to me, this is really the first time that they bet big on a season being about like big personalities returning. Right. Yeah. So like had people been on two seasons before? Sure. Had the whole season been cast, right, based on these people were incredible to watch, yeah. had never really happened before. Basically, what they've done is they've brought 20 of the biggest sort of names in the history of Survivor to this point, And they've divided them into heroes 
and villains. <laughs> I think this is an interesting framing because it's also kind of the first time the show is like, hey, we're paying attention to what the fans think of these people. Yeah. Right. And and also like the edits we made. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also like, I don't know, Rupert was a huge fan favorite on Pearl Islands, right? Really? Like, comes back as a hero. Boy, that man, I loved him on season seven. The pirate. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was the biggest fan of Rupert, and I was, like, rooting for him on All Stars. As an adult, I hate this man. <laughs> He's grouchy. <laughs> He's grouchy and obnoxious, and, like, I don't know if you know this, AC, but he... <laughs> That's my best. That's exactly what he sounds like. (laughs) Did you know that he was the 2012 Libertarian governor candidate for Indiana? No. He basically used his survivor fame to go run as a libertarian. Okay, so this is actually a thing that I was thinking about so much. Was like I, I could not bring myself to look up what these people do in their you know everyday life. Some of them say what they do, right? Mm -hmm. Some of them don't. Because I was like, I I can't, I can't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because they all seem so unhinged. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be a special kind of unhinged to be like, I voluntarily am going to do something like so extreme. I think like in particular, like James, like there, there are many, I think that it's, it's feels especially evident on this season because they are, as you said, like the biggest personalities from Mm -hmm. the, you know, previous 20 seasons in good ways and in bad, but Mm -hmm. it just, it is very, it was very interesting to me. Like it's also the element of you are unhinged enough to have not only signed up for this once, maybe have signed up for this twice, and also in some cases have signed up for this a third time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's crazy. <laughs> so uh, get to go right back to Rupert. Famously, he ended his Pearl Island season, saw his wife, right? Like got to spend the time after and then and then went to the like final tribal, which is an event that happens a couple yeah. months after the season wraps. And then the next day flew out to go be on Sur- like Survivor All-Stars. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. He was he was such oh a big deal God. that they made a spot for him on the cast and he agreed and, and flew out there. Holy yeah. shit. I mean, I, I think I I think I get the appeal. I, I will say like I get the appeal with Rupert versus like like, I think that Rupert and Russell, like, go in different directions mm-hmm. of, like, being the same person, but right. in different directions. And so, anyway. That's such a good call. Russell is, like, a villain Rupert. Yeah. Yeah. So, the Heroes Tribe is made up of, of Rupert. Um, just to give you some names, if, if you have ideas of these people. Stephanie, who was on Traitors. She was, right? yes. Sari, who was on the Traitors. Yes. Sari was, has been on Survivor, like, five times. This is, I think, her second or third time. Yeah. And you've also got Colby Donaldson, who I mentioned earlier, who was uh, the runner-up in Survivor Australia. Um, he makes it pretty far on this season. And then the villains, we have Boston Rob. Um, I think the framing of Rob as a villain is interesting. I think he's just kind of like a little antagonist in Marquesas. He's a bro is is like the the best reason of like why I could see him as a villain. Like he's not afraid to bro out, which sometimes includes being an absolute yeah. dickhead. But like otherwise, I don't know. Maybe it's because like he's scheming. I, I don't know. One thing that really struck me is like that man is smart. Oh, he's stupid smart. 
I, stupid smart yeah, is a dumb no, phrase. No, no, no. I think you no, I think that's exactly right though cuz it's like it's not he's it's not like book learning smart. Mm-hmm. The like it's like the speed with which he can do the puzzles. Like his brain mm-hmm. is thinking so many steps ahead. Yeah, uh, another of my favorites on the villain tribe is Jerry. She was also on Survivor oh. Australian Outback. She also made it pretty far that that season. Um I love her in this season. I think it's kind of unfortunate that she is not one of the people kind of running the show. Yeah. Um, she kind of is, is kind of riding along. Speaking of villains and speaking of Jerry, we've got Coach, one of my least favorite people on this season. <laughs> the Dragon Slayer. Yeah, I did not watch this season to know why they call him the Dragon Slayer. <laughs> I have no fucking clue. <laughs> he is a goofball. He wears an affliction shirt at the final tribal. <laughs> No, it's, I mean, he does it's, not. He does. It's 2010. He's standing in a black blazer with a red affliction t-shirt. And he says, as a Christian man. Oh, my God. This I'm is the so man sorry. who I'm wakes so up and does his own version of Tai Chi every morning. Dragon Chi. Dragon Chi, which he teaches uh, the people in his tribe later on in the season. Try and flex all of your body at the same time. <laughs> it's about flexing every muscle in your body. God, he's the worst. Um, and then uh, we have the three people that I want to talk about today. The people that we're going to use to kind of structure this conversation. Hell yeah. Russell Hance, Parvati Shallow, and Sandra Diaz-Twine. And those are the three that, honestly, I find the most interesting. I think that might be a shock, especially in Sandra's case. Um, but they're also the three that end up at Final Tribal. That doesn't feel surprising based on the trajectory of the show mm-hmm. um, so far. I think it is interesting that Sandra winds up there um, mm-hmm. since she is cast as like the haha cast as the outcast, right? Like through mm-hmm. so much of the season, even in her initial alliances, she's kind of the villain that doesn't belong in the villains tribe. Yeah. In the way that James is the hero that doesn't belong on the heroes tribe. Yeah, it's very yeah. it's very interesting. So. Huh. Well, well, yeah. well. Um, Russell. <laughs> wow. Um, have I ever hated a person I didn't know more? <laughs> but no, I have. I have. There's a number of people. So I will say Russell contributes to an aspect of the show that I I find this kind of problematic. Um, yeah. I will say this is my favorite season of Survivor that I've ever watched, and it is a fan favorite season of Survivor. It's often rated number one. Yeah. Right? When they're like, people do votes or people do articles, you know, whatever. It's often the the number one. Sometimes it's uh, Kagayan, which was, I think, season 28. I'm not sure. Okay. Or more recently, um, Winners at War, which was season 40. It was all winners. But this is like the end of Survivor's quote-unquote golden age, according to a lot of fans. Interesting. And a lot of people will point to Russell as the reason. Why it's the end of the golden age? No, as the reason why it's like the peak. Not because he's a favorite person. It's not because people like him, but because he's interesting to watch. Yeah, he plays a good game. Yeah, and people, like Survivor starts casting for people like Russell more and mm. more as they go on. And again, I'm relying now on like people talking about the show sure. um, to say this, but as I understand it, Survivor starts casting. Um, I'm sure we'll get corrected again by our friend who used to work <laughs> on Survivor in that era. So like I said, I want to talk about these three people and I kind of want to break down the show by its motto. Okay. Um, outplay, outwit, outlast. 
right? Right. And I think each of these people has aspects of those things, but I think that there's, each of them kind of stands for one of those most prominently. Yeah. We are going to start with Outlast to talk about Russell Hance. Amazing. So Russell Hance, he was the runner-up of season 19 Survivor Samoa. So just like... Rupert turned around the next day and went back to All-Stars. I don't know if this was a similar situation. I think they had slowed down production schedules at this time. Like, Survivor was not as big anymore. But he was on the previous season. That was his first season. His second season was Survivor Heroes versus Villains. Russell sucks at the outwit um, (laughs) in Outplay, Outwit, Outlast. But he does know how to outlast. He was the runner-up, like I said, on season 19 and ends up in Final Tribal. We'll talk about where he ends up later. But he ends up at the end... Both the times, right? Interesting, yeah. I want to talk about, like, this man and, like, why you hate him. But I just, before you tell me why you hate him, I want to mention to you that this man nearly got sued. He didn't get sued, but somebody else, the person he was leaking information to got sued because he was leaking information. What? During the show's production. What? To a forum user on a Survivor website. Oh, my God. Wait, like... He had a cell phone? I don't know if it he was... Had a, did he have a secret satellite phone? Is that what <laughs> you're knows? saying to me? So either that's what was happening, or it was between, like, being on, like, the island and okay, being, okay, okay, you know... Okay. Like, he was telling somebody at some point, hey, this is what has happened. Because are the finales live? The finales are all live, so it's okay, usually, like, okay. some arbitrary amount of time after. Okay, so so not a secret sat phone on the island situation necessarily. I don't know. I wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> I wouldn't either, but, but wow. Okay. Juicy. So AC, when you, when you sort of were introduced, introduced to Russell, what were your first thoughts? Barf. <laughs> um, okay. So I think at some point somebody, maybe even poverty just describes him as like a weird little troll running around with a missing tooth. I and I was like, Barbity. okay, like the thing is that one w- between the dragon slayer, the king, the queen, the lady in waiting troll comparisons, they've got some weird like fantasy parallel and their, their metaphor is going this season. That's like just mm-hmm. very odd, but that's such an apt description of like this kind of person. And I also think of just like, the thing that struck me immediately is like, yeah, they pin JT as like slimy because he's like double dealing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Russell is the same and he gets less flack for it because he is a villain initially, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's true of all of the villains. They get like just less flack from both their own tribe and from other players for just playing the game. And yeah. all of the heroes, whether it's because they've been labeled heroes or because that's the kind of players that they are, which is why they're grouped together all get mad at each other for backstabbing when like that's it's literally the point. I don't know that what that's confusing to me. Although they're all on the, like I, I think I like it's, I I'm still getting accustomed to like the mechanic of like, you are trying to get to the end with a specific set of people who you mm-hmm. then think you can beat in a popularity contest. Yes. Right. And so like trying to wrap my brain around that rather than like, you are motivated to get yourself to the final because if you are in the final, you will win, right? Like mm-hmm. that voting mechanic at the end really does make or break the game and, it, and is like a very interesting part. But so like, I think the thing, all of that to say, Russell is like the kind of man who, um, to borrow a phrase from my culture, is what I would call an a thousand footer, but not an a thousand footer in like a gay way, like clockable from that far away. 
as queer. Instead, he is a clockable as a skis, like absolutely yeah. slime ball skeezy radiates off of this man in a way that makes my stomach turn while I'm watching at home 13 years in the future. Am I wrong? Or is that Andor character's name skis? <laughs> Sorry, that's totally <laughs> random. But like also easily clockable yeah. as a dipshit. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> the wild thing about Russell to me is that he walks like into the first day. And starts telling multiple people, I want to take you and me to the final two. He says it to Parvati and Danielle. Yeah. First day. Day one. Now, to be fair, those are kind of his like homies most of the time. But it's not like he stops. Yeah. Right. We are three quarters of the way through the show and he's telling Jerry and coach he wants it to be them three. (laughs) When everyone knows he and Parvati are tight. Yeah. Um, This man is just making shit up at all moments. And the the craziest thing is like people, they don't buy it, but they buy it. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, man, I hate this. And then they throw their money on the table. I think the thing that is something that is so interesting through me that is like a through line through the show is like, man, sleep deprivation and like malnutrition Mm -hmm. will really make you believe any fucking thing huh Mm -hmm. like they're all constantly lying to each other but also constantly giddy and like having the best time it seems like and like i think one thing that is interesting is they're more honest about the progression of time while the show is recording Mm -hmm. and saying like how many days it is that they have been out there Mm -hmm. and it seems like recording isn't that long and they don't have like books or anything right like they're all just hanging out together for all of this time and 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 actually trying to survive which is a big deal yeah. like they get like they get rewards that like make it easier but that's that's still a part of the show i know that yeah. i've heard it's become less a part of the show but like it's not like they are not living on an island without food that they you know yeah you yeah. know like i think at most they get rice yeah they they in some of the rewards they get like a week of rice or yeah. they they yeah You've mentioned before about how a lot of these reality shows that are not survival-based, they're, like, plying them with alcohol to make them interesting. This show, they don't have to do that because they're, like, literally surviving with no food. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I just am thinking about, like, how mean I get if I forget to eat between, like, if I forget to eat breakfast and lunch, I'll fight anybody. Over anything. I have to tell you and the listener that I am starving right now. So I no. feel like I'm living this. <laughs> you know what, Matt? You could do it. I, I think you could survive. I think you could do it. One of the things that makes Russell so ugh, to me is it's got to be that like he just doesn't seem impacted by any of that stuff at any point, right? Mm -hmm. In a way that other people do, right? Like, you see other people, like, sleeping during the day or whatever. He's just always running around doing some some little scheme. And, like, that seems like maybe maybe editing, right? Like, there has to be times where he's just resting with everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, okay, Matt, this is a total derail. I have to ask you this question. What the fuck is up with the clothes that these people bring to a desert island? (laughs) 
I am always like vaguely thinking about what they're wearing. Why is Russell running around this fucking desert island, no fucking shoes, in dirty ass fucking boxer shorts and nothing else? Oh, don't forget his hat. Oh, I'm sorry. And his straw fedora <laughs> that looks uncannily like the straw fedora that you convinced me to buy in 2010. That was my treasured possession for like four years. It was never far from my head. Yes. So um, thank you. <laughs> his is much uglier and dirtier. That's true. That's true. I was going to say this later, but I have to tell you that uh, <laughs> in the final episode, when basically Jerry is the last person to get voted out. Wow. Good for her. And they get back to camp and they're like, oh my God, we made it and all that. Sandra, like, you know, he Russell's run off to like go do something that he's doing. And he's left his hat hanging like on the oh uh, the shelter. Uh-huh. And Sandra and Parvati are like laying on this blanket and Sandra goes, I'm going to burn his hat. <gasps> I'm going to burn his hat. <laughs> are you going to tell? Uh-uh. Are you kidding? That's how much game I got. And she throws his hat in the fire. (laughs) And he comes back. He's like, where's my hat? This man does not find out that she threw his hat into the fire until he's watching the episode live. Oh, my God. At the final tribal reveal (laughs) in front of an audience. Oh, my God. Icon behavior. That's actually so (laughs) funny. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I will say, so if you've never watched Survivor or if you've watched Survivor maybe once, you know, maybe a single season, you'll know that they compete um, every episode, uh, sometimes for reward, but often for immunity. So early in the season, it's tribal immunity. That tribe doesn't have to go to tribal council and vote somebody out. Later in the season, it's individual immunity, usually when they've merged, but occasionally not. Um, there's an episode this season where both tribes have tribal council and they each have an individual immunity or, or only one of them does. I don't remember exactly. But something that the show has added more and more of over time is individual immunity idols that mm-hmm. are often hidden um, near the camps. Jeff Probst is no stranger to gimmicks. Um, mm-hmm. And like there, there's a whole era of like Jeff Probst trying out new gimmicks. Um, <laughs> and there was one, and I don't remember how it exactly went, Exile Island. They okay. like, you could, somehow you could end up on Exile Island and it, it, there was a hidden immunity idol there that was much harder to find than a lot of the ones in this season. But in sort of the golden age, a lot of how this would happen is people would win a reward and then in the reward there might be a... Um, little note that would tell someone how to find it. The note in the napkin in the Outback Steakhouse The note in the napkin in the Outback Steakhouse dinner. um, The note in the popcorn at the, uh, I don't know, like the the movie showing. Um, (laughs) In this this season, a lot of those notes are found by multiple people or they're found by a person and then other people immediately see it. Yeah. Right? And the only one I think that really doesn't is the one that Parvati finds at the Outback Steakhouse dinner. Which, a moment for the product placement in this show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the the Sprint Palm Prix, both of those companies don't exist anymore. <laughs> the Sears catalog. Oh, my God. I forgot about the Sears. The Sears catalog and crate. So I guess that product placement really worked for all those companies. You know what? Outback Steakhouse still exists, so it good sure for does. <laughs> we'll see how long. But yeah, this show relies on the immunity idols, and I think it really, really works this season. I hear that in future season, it gets or future seasons, it gets a bit 
wonky. Like there's okay. too many idols and the idols are like slightly different and have different gimmicks and things. I've heard something about legacy advantages, which just sounds stupid. But in this was kind of in the height of those things working. And like Russell is always hunting for these. He does find a couple, right? Um, one of my favorite moments of the season where he actually does some outwitting, mm-hmm. right? Is he finds an idol and he gives it to Parvati because he yeah. knows that she's going to be voted out. And it works. Yeah. He saves her, right? It locks down their alliance even further, right? I think it's one of the few instances of him actually playing the game well. Yeah. For some reason, his bullshit works with these people, and I don't don't understand it. Maybe he's smarter than me, actually. But, like, (laughs) the the one thing he does that I understand is giving his immunity idol to Parvati and, and saving her. Yeah. I think it's really interesting to right? like the assumption in the first uh, half of the season before the merge that there's like this girls alliance that somehow... Can we talk about the gender politics? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The gender politics of the show. I like have many more questions about the clothes of like how is it that they're going to a desert island for survival? And like, why are you not packing like a tactical swimsuit? Right? Like mm-hmm. why? And and I know it's for the ratings. They want the girls in bikinis. Yep. And I actually think that it's really interesting and notable that like Sandra, Jerry, Sari, like some of mm-hmm. the older women choose more garb that is either more conservative or like, more tactical right mm-hmm. in that way i think um jerry in particular right like has a lot of like she has a very clearly like a sun protection hat and a buff that is not the survivor buff yeah. right jerry i just have to say jerry to me has always been one of my favorites and i think it's just because she's like attractive in the way that like the uh, like the like your standard like survivor hot girl is is the girl sure. in the bikini but jerry is just like an attractive person yeah Right. To like look at it all. And she like knows how to own it and like is a big personality. Jerry is hot on Survivor in the way that Laura Dern is hot in Jurassic Park. Correct. Like in like a practical, smart, older woman who knows what the fuck she is doing and what the fuck she's about. Like that is comparing her to Laura Dern completely explains why I like her as a gay man. (laughs) (laughs) She just has that vibe. And Laura, specifically Laura Dern's character in Jurassic Park. God, the gender politics of it all. The, and the girls Alliance thing with Russell, like, I don't know. I think like, it seemed to me like he's playing the game well in that moment of Mm -hmm. like letting them believe it. Right. Like that feels like smart to me. Of like, okay, if you want to think that, I'm right. At, right not not being like, oh, actually, you're wrong, and I'm in charge. That's so silly of you. Like thinking that and laughing about it together. I think it's like particularly noticeable when JT makes an absolute buffoon move and gives Russell the immunity idol. Oh my god. Okay, so what has <laughs> happened is laughing on the beach with him. Oh, <laughs> that's my one god. of my favorite parts of the show. So what happens is the heroes basically see men getting voted out of the villain's tribe over and over and over again. And both Rupert and JT are like, there there must be a women's alliance. And they're like convinced. They basically have no questions. JT and the rest of the heroes tribe, like I said, they, they find a human, uh, hidden immunity idol together. And they plot to give it to Russell yeah. at the next competition yeah. so that he can save himself from elimination. Yeah. What's happening on the villains team is actually that Russell is running shit. Yeah. Right? And Parvati, I will say, actually, this we'll talk about her in a second. I think Parvati's actually running shit uh-huh. um, because she's, she's playing Russell really uh-huh. hard. 
Uh-huh. Um, but the 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 sort of villain's understanding of what's going on is that Russell is running shit. So it's this, they're like, oh man, we're making this incredible play. No one's ever done this before, but they're just clowning on themselves the whole time. Right? And the editing is so good that you are in it just like, they're laughing at them on the beach and you are laughing at home along with them. Like, JT, what an idiot. (laughs) He writes this note that is like, (laughs) <laughs> middle school politics save yourself like and parvati is reading it and just like cackling complete privacy <laughs> see you soon bff forever <laughs> xoxo jt what is wrong with him like i cannot believe that kid won jt gave off their idol to save shut me. up <laughs> Well, and you know what? She's right, too, because it is so the note is so um, boys rule, girls rule. (laughs) Is that the tribal where they they do two tribals and like the villains watch them? It's the one before that. Okay. Um, It's it's the one before that. Yeah. Where they have the hot dog reward or it's it's maybe maybe one or two episodes before. But yeah, where they I mean, it's really, really interesting. I think that in in multiple moments, right, where Probst gets the opportunity to ask them questions in front of the villain. So ask the heroes Mm -hmm. questions about like, what alliances do you think exist? They both at that tribal and in a couple of the like, um, competition, like, challenge scenarios say something specific out loud to make it clear like rupert right and one of them Mm -hmm. is like "Mm, that girl's all girls alliance is looking really good right now you know Mm -hmm. when coach doesn't come back right and um so then it's the next uh it's the count that council of that episode after coach leaves yeah there's a there's a count or there's a tribal council where jeff says to parvati so parvati are you the boss and she goes of course and then she, she like kind of like sly. She goes, I mean, if you ask the heroes, I'm running a solid girls alliance, right? Which is like, he's asking her about the girls alliance. But my favorite part of that is that she's like, no hesitation. It's like, of course I'm running. Like, actually, yes, I'm running things. Yeah. Right. On top of this, like, fiction that there's a girls alliance. Actually, yeah. yes, I am running things. Yeah. And I mean, I think the gender politics of it all is so interesting, too. I think somebody makes the observation. I, I think I was surprised that they said it this plainly. Right. Somebody makes the observation. Maybe it's Boston Rob early on. Um, I think it is um, that the real sign of alliances is who people are sleeping next to. Mm -hmm. Um, And you always see poverty and Russell sleeping next to each other. And always. And Danielle. Yes. But, but poverty and Russell always. Right. It's, it's crazy that um, no one calls Russell on like, what is essentially really sexist bullshit. Sexist fucking bullshit. He is, he's basically claiming poverty and Danielle in this like ownership kind of it's way. It's so right? gross. It's really gross. But the thing is, they they both know it's happening and they're like leveraging it. Yeah. Parvati to a, to a greater extent. There's this moment that I kind of don't want to spoil yet because I think it's really important when we talk about Parvati and I don't know if you've seen it yet. She she makes a good move that's good for their entire alliance. Yeah. And they come out of it and he's like, you lied to me. You owe me respect. But like, cool. it's a good thing for him. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's disgusting yeah disgusting yeah I and that's hate just it. <laughs> and that and like you know, to her credit she knows that's what's going on yeah and she rides it out right to final tribal yeah i mean i think the thing is always that even if 
listen, have I done my fair share of manipulation of men's sexist behavior? Yes. You know what? Absolutely, I have. (laughs) Does it make that behavior any less, like, bad in the grand scheme of things? No. No. Right? (laughs) Uh, No. That's still sexist bullshit. And, like, I think that that is the biggest reason why I I dislike Russell, right? Like, you you could be a skis and a slime ball and not be a sexist, and I just don't like you because you're maybe you're a skis and a slime ball, but the degree to which those are inherently overlapping parts of his personality, right? That the thing that makes him feel like makes me, gives me the ick about Russell, Mm -hmm. right? Is that clear disrespect and clear thought of his relationship to women as I'm in charge, I'm the king, I'm the boss, right? Like, and all of you little peasants, all of you little girlies are going to do what I want you to do. Yeah, there's a moment where they're talking about him being the king and they clearly have asked um, Parvati, like, is Russell the king? And she's like, he may be the king, but I'm the queen. And, you know, king usually is what the queen wants anyway. And it's like, like, yes. And also you talking about things in that way is like an example of how this is definitely from 2010 and definitely Survivor. Like, I don't know how things have shaped up in regards to gender on Survivor since then. I mean, I know the whole Zeke thing, right? Sure, but like, sure. Um, but, like, since then, I don't know if it's, like, boys versus girls, you know, kind of shit anymore. Um, I think there was literally a season where they did that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that <laughs> one of the things that came up when we were first watching Survivor is, of course, we are, you know, Wikipedia, everything on your phone while mm-hmm. you're watching a show, people. Um, and one of the things that we saw was that there is a Survivor season where they split people up by racial identity. That was very unpopular. They sure did it, though. <laughs> And that I was, I honestly was like a little shocked that that, Mm -hmm. um, we did have a a long conversation about it because I reminded uh, my partner that it was, um, you know, before it was, it was pre Obama being president and therefore it was before we, you know, solved racism, (laughs) um, (laughs) by electing a black man to be, um, war criminal in chief. Uh, sorry, that's, (laughs) wow, maybe, okay. Can, can we leave that in President. with your job? You well, you know what you can, and okay. uh, I have a free speech right to say that. So, okay. <laughs> so I think that like the politic, like the gender dynamics of it all, like yes, it, it does feel very 2010 in many ways, and also like I could still see the same thing happening today, oh, yeah. right? Like 100%. even if even if the social conversations around gender have progressed and changed, the interpersonal dynamics of a situation like this often fall back into those highly socialized patterns of behavior. I mean, we saw some of the same stuff happen on Traders. Boy, did we. Yeah, and like, (laughs) sure, was there a non-binary person on that show that like was never misgendered, all that? Sure, but there was also like, Broy as fuck bros doing what those people do. Ryan Lochte and Cody. They're bros. They got the broco, baby. They love each other. Oh, I just have to insert this thought. Rupert is the fucking Ryan Lochte of this season. Oh my god. Just like he's like it, but it's because he's so bought in to the, how like how this show yeah. like works and he's not really paying attention to the game he's playing. Yeah. I think I've decided actually what would make me watch a new season of Survivor, Matt. And that is put Ryan Lochte on Survivor. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if he's been on it already. (laughs) With that, I do want to talk about Parvati. I think that's the next natural person to talk about. And for Parvati, I'm, I'm saying that she's sort of the chief of outplay. 
Parvati gets talked a lot of, when you talks about a lot when you talk about like physical prowess in yeah. this game. She and her tribe win a ton of challenges this season. Specifically, she goes on a streak at the end of winning immunity like three or four times. Wow! And there's one where uh, Danielle wins, but it's because Parvati gives up yes, because they both know this, that yeah. Danielle needs it. Yeah, and that one's crazy too. I think that was one of the first challenges. All of them are clearly very physical challenges, mm-hmm. right? And I thought that was so interesting. And I know we're going to talk about challenges more at the end, but that one in particular where poverty like gave it gave it up for Danielle that I I thought that was the first one where I've been like whoa yeah so they are (laughs) they have to climb up on a ladder onto this pole that has like um like tiny tiny indentations where they can kind of put their toes and they basically have to hold on to this pole and stay on it without their feet touching the ground for as long as they can. And the last one down wins immunity. This show kind of has like archetypes of challenges. They've like, I think there's that first, uh, first episode challenge, like the boat and then the puzzle challenge is a good example of like a standard survivor challenge, especially when they're in the tribes where they'll do like a physical thing and then a puzzle to like test both aspects. And then they've got these, what I'm calling sports challenges Right. So they've got that kind of like faux basketball one that yeah. they do this season. And they've got the one with like the big padded shields that they're oh, like yeah. fighting each other off the platform. Oh, that one ruled. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> watching people just brutalize each other, mud wrestle. Yeah. Hell yeah. The one you're talking about with the pole challenge, that is uh, like a category of endurance challenges endurance, that they yeah. usually bring in at the end of a season. There's a lot of endurance challenges at the end of a season, especially in the early seasons the like final episode would have one or two of them. Yeah. And I, do you think that that's like, because the longer they're out there, the harder the endurance part gets. Yes. A hundred percent. It also is very individual, right? Yeah. At the end, any wrong move can get you voted out and can like really shape the thing. Cause it's all individual play at that point. That's right. no longer tribal play. And the endurance challenges make more sense there. Whereas like a boat and puzzle challenge doesn't. Right. right. Um, so I keep saying boat and puzzle challenge, but specifically, I think it's the second challenge. It's in the first episode, but it's a second challenge. They have to go get these pieces of a boat. Yep. Put them together, get the boat in the water, like go out, what was it like light a torch or light something? a torch mm-hmm. yeah it, at, like in this sort of podium in the water come back and that's like a, it's a speed race essentially use the things that they had strapped together the pieces of the boat right as like ladder rungs so they put them there and then they have to they have to solve a puzzle they when they solve that puzzle it becomes this piece that they put into the ladder and then they climb up and they're finished it's, yeah it's a it's a race but they they do this sort of physical race slash mental puzzle many times early on in the season and compared to like the traders right which the traders likes to do i think two things in their challenges it's either extreme and by extreme i mean like gross or uncomfortable yeah right or it's really thematic yeah the physical aspects of their challenges are all over the place and like so if it's weird. difficult, it's usually like they just had to walk a long time holding yeah. something heavy. It's not like terribly interesting when it gets physical. Yeah. Right. Like I think the most interesting challenges, like the ones that come to my mind, are like jumping out of a helicopter, being buried alive, right? The fucking lasers, yeah. right? Like <laughs> I think that the the helicopter doesn't come to mind because all they had to do was jump out of it. They did then didn't have to like swim at all or anything. And I'm thinking of like. In the, like, okay, so when I first was, like, I'm going to watch Survivor, I was, like, I tried to watch season one. But, at, like, at the beginning of season one, they 
throw them all out of a plane and then they have to swim two to three hours to shore. I have never seen season one. That's wild to me. It's insane. It, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Hardcore. Also, I can't <laughs> watch. I couldn't watch it because like if we thought the gender politics of this season were bad, uh, let's go back to pre pre 9-11. I have never watched it because I don't like Richard Hatch. <laughs> Fair. Pre 9-11, uh, t- the year 2000, uh, and have the the politics of that be present in the show. And that was wild. So Richard Hatch reminds me of Dan Savage in all of the worst ways. Yeah. Um, did, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Hatch is the winner of season one, yes. um, Survivor Borneo. And uh, I just don't like him that much. Uh, he famously <laughs> just like spent the whole time naked and, and yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm whatever about nudity, but he weirded people out with it and yeah, that made people cool. uncomfortable. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So that's not the point. That the, the yeah. point here is that like, yeah, and it was something I noticed right away. How similar, like in watching heroes versus villains, like how similar these challenges and how clearly inspired by some of these challenges, the traders' challenges were. Um, and I also immediately noticed how much more like brute strength so many things of these require it is not i mean the strategy game is what happens outside of the challenges not inside Mm -hmm. of the challenges as much i mean i think there is strategy to who competes or who sits out when they have to do sit outs for that kind of stuff but um it was very interesting to see right in the first episode of the traders right they have to do the boat challenge where they go out they light the torch yeah yeah they literally that it, it, it's like a carbon copy but it's worse yeah. right like it like doesn't make any sense now does the puzzle being a piece of the ladder make any sense no but I'll, like that happens 7 times in the challenge in the right. in the first episode of the traders right one of the the examples of the physicality that makes like this most prominent to me in survivor is the first thing they do which is they have some like areas of sand in kind of uh, a, a like sort of long distance, yeah. li- basically lined out by ropes, and they're numbered. And then they have um, what like three people or four people, um, four people, it's two four and people two. selected to. They'll give them a number, and they have to run out there, dig, looking for this big bag that they've got to run back to. Um, the sort of starting line with. So it's very physical, but also it's causing them to fight each other yeah. for this bag. They've got to hurry and find it. Right. Yeah. And then they've got to like stop the other person from getting there if they want to win. And sugar, the person who like <laughs> leaves first, the first person voted out yeah. a survivor <laughs> heroes versus villains, uh, like loses her top because she's fighting so hard. Yeah. Right. And like, is it like a little, I will say it's not edited to be like, ooh, she lost her top, right? Yeah. Which is nice. It was nice of them. But at the same time, to me, it shows the, even for the person that goes out first, it shows the like dedication to the physicality of the show. Yeah. That I think is like, still paints it differently than a lot of other shows that have copied Survivor. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's wild, right? Like with poverty specifically, but so many of the women who are on this show are so small. Like uh-huh. they, they are, very thin, very petite, you know, people, but they also have like relatively athletic builds and are mm-hmm. like, like clearly, I don't know if people train for this or what, right? But like, it is, it's brutal. Like, and people get hurt, right? Rupert breaks a toe, James sprains his knee. There's one um, in the basketball one. 
Jerry gets her head slammed into the oh, side yeah. by by Rupert. He says it's on accident, and it does kind of look like he didn't realize the post was like that close, and he was just trying to kind of pull her down. But they are like truly fighting each other, fist fighting. It's it is it is almost brutal to watch. I think in the challenge where they have to retrieve the um the puzzle pieces where they're like blindfolded and they have the collars. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like the giant, the big pieces and mm-hmm. they're like putting it together. There's like multiple times where like they run into stuff, they're banging their shins, but there's one. Oh my gosh. Um, not the gross older guy, Randy. Who's the other, the older guy who was on the heroes team, Tom, Tom. Yes. There is one where they're walking and they're carrying a piece and they just accidentally just slam Tom right in the like lower back kidneys region mm-hmm. with this giant piece. And you see him go, Ugh! and I just like uh, one time of slamming my shin into something like that would be enough to send me down for a week minimum. Yeah. I do not. I cannot this man's even in his 50s. Like- <laughs> conceptualize being a hundred pounds soaking wet and having the like brute physicality that some of these people have to like i mean like you were saying right endure or 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 outplay or like outmaneuver right like throwing yourself at these obstacles over and over again crazy um i think the challenge in this show are another example of how survivor at every moment takes itself seriously oh right yeah. the traders is dripping in camp the entire time. <laughs> like to me, even, even tribal council, which is a campy idea, right. Yeah. Is like a little bit of a uh, kind of off idea. Um, but like still is like, if you were to try and copy that idea, there's no way you would do it as seriously as survivor takes it. Right. Like the, there's a, in the last episode, they sort of, walk and see all the torches that have been snuffed out of, of previous contestants. And it's this very emotional moment (laughs) is there's no camp. Yeah. You see, they're like fully bought in. Right. And these people, these people have been living on this Island, like malnourished. And so they're like crying about it. Yeah. Right. And like, this is something they repeat a lot. Right. Like they've done this before. Whereas like the traders would never, right. It would be, you know, Alan coming like talking shit on the people that yeah. you know <laughs> had been voted off. Before. Yeah, I will say one thing that I really noticed too is like to that end, um, seeing Sari who goes home pretty early in mm-hmm. this series of Survivor. Like, it felt a little bit like, oh, none of them watched Sari. Like, none of the people who were on the Traders seem like they watched Sari play Survivor. Because it is straight out of the Survivor playbook how she plays the social game. Oh, 100%. Like, and and it it became immediate. And I think, like... The it, it's very interesting to me that she like has had never won Survivor, had always played, right? But I think it's because, right, I think I, I really heard and understood your naivete point in a different way that you made, right, about Andy, because it didn't work on Survivor because that's the game that everybody is playing on Survivor and they clocked it immediately and mm-hmm. they got rid of her because she's a threat, right? Versus the people on the traders are not people who are skilled at like the level of 
it is it is i think even just being on the island for a week or whatever right mm-hmm. sugar being on the island for a week one week of extreme temperatures uncomfortable sleep less food much less food than you're accustomed to is so much harder than what anyone else other than Stephanie, who is on the trainers, who has also been on Survivor, right. has ever done. And so, like, yeah, Sari was able to get away with it or, like, not get away with it, right? To be more successful at that kind of strategy in a room full of people who have no idea the level of skill, grit, endurance, power, that it takes to play a game like Survivor. You have set me up perfectly. I love it. I love it when I lead you to the water. (laughs) Um, So you're correct. On on Traders, Sari is playing this game where she is essentially not making herself known, right? Always voting with everyone else. Yeah. Trying not to stir anything up because she's she's trying to hide the fact that she's a trader, right? Survivor doesn't have that. Yeah. But it does have people who don't want to be noticed who just want to make it to the end yep. and who know how to play the social game when they need to. And that's outwit. And that's why we're going to talk about Sandra. Yeah. We bear. I feel like we barely actually talked about poverty. We mostly talked about the challenges. I yeah. just want to say she is so funny. I oh my God. She's, she's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Parvati, I think poverty is my favorite survivor player of all time. She, she just is like, I don't know. She's like, kooky and charming and just like a she's clearly got something going on i don't know oh my god i just completely forgot this we can't talk about sandra yet okay i don't think you've so from what i understand you have not seen the best poverty moment oh of this season tell me about it okay so do you know what happens with the hidden immunity idol that russell gets from jt no i they've they've made a plan and i haven't seen them execute the plan Please, okay. please fill me in. So, we know that earlier on, Russell saved Parvati by playing his idol. Yes. Right? We know that Parvati has found a hidden immunity idol at the Outback Steakhouse Challenge. <laughs> Outback Steakhouse Reward. New drag name. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Jeff Probst drag, though. <laughs> the thing is, Russell gets this immunity idol from JT because JT thinks there's a women's alliance. And he gives it to Parvati. So Parvati has two hidden immunity idols. She does not tell Russell about the idol that she found at the Outback Steakhouse reward. (laughs) And, um, you know, things are going on. They start to realize, like, um, like Parvati's like, I think I'm going to get voted out. Like, I'm not sure if I should play it for myself. Who knows? You know, I do have two. Maybe I use this one now. And then I have that one as a backup. And... The day progresses. They go to tribal council, and it seems like they're kind of all over the place on who they're voting for. I think it's. Mm. Um, I'm going to look up really quick who actually gets voted out really quick. Um, okay, so it seems like that um, options for that night are like Parvati, Jerry, Sandra, and JT. The the, the the tribes have merged at this right. point, right? And the heroes are realizing like if we don't get a villain out, we're going to be on the losing side. Picked off one by one, right. which is the villain's plan. Right. Right. That's the villain's plan. And it works. Um, <laughs> uh, and Parvati walks into this is like, you know, I think I'm going to protect myself. Um, and that can be the way that the villains can survive. So whatever, they have this discussion and they go to vote and they come back and Jeff's like, if you have an immunity idol, 
now's the time to play it. Yeah, what, Jack? Harvey stands up. I think it would be downright depressing to sit and watch green bananas turn yellow without my debaucherous little villains. Extra, so, takes one of her immunity idols out. Sandra, that's for you. Get out of here, for real. Wow. And then she says, and Jeff reaches into a bag that she has brought with her. I would just like to increase our odds. So, Jerry, that one's for you too. Oh my goodness. I knew that there was a double immunity idol play. I re- That was the one thing I remembered about this season. I forgot who she chose. Hell yeah. In my head, she chose herself and Russell. Yeah. But no, she saves her like previous tribe, right? To go according to her plan and solidifies like her place with Sandra and Jerry. Yeah. The final four, like I've said in this season, are Parvati, Sandra, Jerry, and Russell, right? Yeah, wow. She makes it clear that that's what is going to happen. And from that moment, there's basically no question. Like, Sandra is suspicious of all these people. She really hates Russell. So, like, that's really the only question, right? Is, like, will the Sandra of it all shake things up? But Sandra has no options. Like, the heroes are getting voted out. If she was going to do something else, it would be with the heroes. Yeah. She doesn't like Rupert that much either. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's a a late game uh, challenge where they're talking about people who've uh, competed in certain challenges together and uh, Jeff points out that Sandra and Rupert did this one together and Rupert turns to her and goes love you girl and she just goes Ugh. yeah <laughs> it, it's it's um it's actually the one the last challenge right before the merger yeah because um they it's another one of those endurance challenges on the tiny footholds yeah. so she has no options and like Parvati knows all of this has like scoped out oh all my of God. this and like like I said, Parvati, known for her outplay, known for yeah. her physical prowess, but I think is on par with Sandra, on par with Sari, as like one of the best social game players that Survivor has ever seen. Yeah. I thought it was really funny, too. I think she's just so funny. And then, like, why does everybody think I'm, like, so evil? Like, everybody thinks I'm some sort of evil mastermind. And, like, whether she is an evil mastermind or she's just good at the game, it comes off in this way that, like, it must be part of what makes her so charming of being, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not like that. (laughs) Am I? Yeah. (laughs) Although I think, I I, I mean, I wrote this down in my notes. Everyone hates her because she's hot, right? Like, (laughs) Coach just hates her because she's hot. He has no other reason for talking down on her. Coach just hates her because she's a woman. But that's just my... (laughs) Yes, and all of the above, they mean the same thing. (laughs) Anyway, back to Sandra, who I think is the other best social player of this game. Um, Like I said, she's the winner of season seven, Pearl Islands. Sandra is Sari in The Traitors. Yeah. Sandra is playing this quiet game. She's trying not to get found out. She does literally the minimal social game that she needs to do just to skate into Final Tribal. Yeah. There's some stuff with Rob, like midway through the, the tribe stuff, but then he's gone. Yeah. Right? Um, and it doesn't really matter anymore. She doesn't really get in people's way until the merge when she like tries to align with the heroes really quickly. And that starts to not work. Yeah. Right? And she realizes where she is. I think it's really Parvati's sort of double idol play yeah. that solidifies her ability to like sink back into people not paying attention to her. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It is really interesting 
Because I think something that I noticed is that she seems, of all of them, the least interested in, like, chatting it up. You know, just mm-hmm. hanging out, right? Like, she's there, and she's doing her stuff, and she's, you know, participating in camp and, like, doing her chores and stuff like that. But she doesn't seem like she's kikiing with the girls, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> in the yeah. same way. The only time that I can even think of that is that instance where she she burns Russell's hat in the last yeah. day, right? Yeah. Like... I also have to say, not to bring up the Outback Steakhouse reward again, <laughs> but, but but the way that Sandra talks about how she loves Outback Steakhouse, oh I think God. one of the funniest things that she says to me is in that it is, she says, my husband, before he went on deployment to Afghanistan, the week before he left, we went there, like, and you think she's going to say, like, every night? She says, we went there, like, two times <laughs> in one week. <laughs> and to signal that that's her husband's favorite restaurant, we went two times. And, like, I I think, like, it feels a little mean to laugh like, like at that because, like, mm-hmm. my assumption and, like, knowledge of, like, what it's like to be an army spouse is that, mm-hmm. like... It's likely because that was, like, stretching the budget to go mm-hmm. twice in one week, right? But also, like, being like, oh, yeah, we went there, like, twice in one week as, like, mm-hmm. a big thing. Right. <laughs> and also that it's Outback fucking Steakhouse. Right. I mean, I have enjoyed a Bloom and Onion many times in my life. Hey. So, Sandra, this is, this is her game plan, yeah. basically, every time. This is how she won Pearl Island. Yeah. She is so good at this game because she stays out of people's way and, like... She pisses people off sometimes. She's not afraid to do that, but she knows when to do it and when not to. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's that's true. She she really does seem to know when to pick her battles and that and that influences her play a lot. I did also think that it was interesting and and Jeff even points it out. She sits out from challenges pretty regularly. Yep. And that's I think part of how she doesn't get noticed, right? She doesn't she's not always part of the team challenges where she could fuck up and get everybody mad at her, mm-hmm. right? She often is choosing to sit out when there's like some sort of matchup where it would demonstrate whether or not she has physical prowess. And like, presumably, it means that she, as it progresses, she has some of that endurance skill rather than some of that brute force of just like being able to be a good player of the games that come later and knowing that the games that come first aren't her skill set. There's a challenge late in the game where they basically have to hold their hands straight up for as long as they can. Terrible. And they're standing on this like very thin block too. Sure. Um, And if they pull their hand down, it's chained to a bucket, which pours colored liquid on their head and whatever. Yeah. But Throughout the challenge, Jeff is bringing, like, Oreos and steak out to be like, I will give you this if you, like, come down right now. And this is an immunity challenge, right? So they bring the first plate out. And Jeff has not said what it is. And Sandra goes, I'll take it. (laughs) And Russell goes, me too. And they both walk off. Jeff never says what it is. They walk off and then he reveals and it's a plate full of cookies and milk. And they just sit there enjoying them while everyone else is doing the immunity challenge. Also, just I don't understand Russell's thought process on this one. He is like a big target at that moment in time. I don't know how he survives. Parvati wins that challenge. It's one of her run. um, And it's one of the reasons she sticks around to the end. Yeah. At one point in in a tribal late in the game, Jeff says to, um, to Rupert, 
I forget, he asks him some question, I forget exactly what it was. And then Rupert starts talking about the roles that everyone is playing in the combined tribe, right? Mm. And he's like, you know, Parvati does this, and Jerry is this person, and blah, 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 blah. And at the end, he just goes, and Sandra's just here with us. Oh, my God. And Sandra's offended, but, like, that's also how her game works. Sure. Like, if it was anything else, she wouldn't be at Final Tribal. Yeah. This is, I think, where I'm going to reveal that Sandra is the winner yeah. of Survivor Heroes versus Villains and also the only person ever to win two seasons of this show. Oh, interesting. Wow. I find that a little surprising. I, I would have assumed, based on how the gameplay went, that uh, Parvati, Parvati would win and that people would like give her credit where credit was due for strategy. But, I mean, I guess, like... People hate you from the jump, think you're evil, and then you're relying on them to vote for you. <laughs> yeah. At the end. Yeah. So this is no longer true, actually. Sorry. Okay. With the exception of Winners at War. Okay. So Winners at War is all winners. Sure. So, of course, a winner yes. was going to win. But she's the only person to win outside of that scenario. Yeah. So, yeah. The way the vote kind of plays out is that everyone hates Russell. No one's voting for Russell. He gets right. zero votes at the end of in, yeah. in Final Trifle. Yeah. And like, what's the I, what's the point of playing to the end? Like, what's oh my the- god, Jeff asks him <sighs> this in front of a live audience, and he's like, he's like, I'm I've made it to the end two times in a row, and he's like, this is just you don't understand. This is just how I play my game. And Rob's like, the point of the game is to win, <laughs> right? Oh, fucking Rob. <laughs> and and Russell's like, oh, the point of the game is to win. How many games have you won? And, like, he's kind of right. Rob hasn't won at sure. all at that point. He's made it to Final Tribal, and his wife won. Yeah. Right? He he wins a couple seasons later. Don't sure. worry about it. But, like, also, Rob is Rob is right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the point is, why, I mean, I guess you play the game to play it, right? You play yeah. the game to show that you're better than all these regular Joes around you in your that's, real life? I mean, that's how Russell feels about it. But, like, he has really not internalized what this game is, that it ends in a popularity contest. Right. And... That's his folly, right? That's yeah. why he doesn't win. And it's also kind of why he has not been invited back on the show because yeah. he spilled all these secrets and is convinced that he's still right about it, right? Yeah. Harvity gets some votes, but she doesn't win, I think, because she tied herself to Russell. Mm. Yeah. Right? She has the stink of Russell and that pisses people off. And also, Coach is a sexist. So that also. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Sandra. Also, on top of that, has three people on the jury that she's, like, homies with. Yeah. Right? Like, Candace is on the jury. Oh, Candace. Yeah, Rob's not on the jury. Rob's not on the jury. Um, He gets, I think he might be the last one before the jury. I don't remember. No. Um, No, Coach is the first person on the jury. So, it's, Rob is two before. Yeah. Coach is never going to vote for either Russell, right, or Parvati. Yeah. Yeah. Candace and uh, Sandra are like really, really close. Yeah. And I think Amanda too. Um, I don't remember exactly. Um, Danielle, I think voted for Parvati. I'm not sure. Um, But that, that would make sense to me. And Rupert, I think would vote for Sandra, but like she just, as much as I love Parvati, right. The mistake she made that season was tying herself to the least popular player. Yeah. Right. If she had played Sandra, in another game, I think she could have beat Sandra. Yeah. Right. Sandra wins because everyone likes her. Yeah. Which, to be fair, is the point of the game. So she much, she clearly played a better game. You know, yeah. fuck me. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I will say, I love Sandra. I loved her in her first season. I was, I was a big fan of her. And um, watching her 
be so quiet all season then show up out of nowhere i was like oh that can be a strategy in this game it was like the first time i realized that that worked yeah it's funny because i think that like there uh, what i was about to say about her is like oh she's a character they're all characters right Mm -hmm. like there are some of some of the women and and honestly like some of the guys like colby jt right like i mean i guess jt has his whole i'm from texas shtick going Mm -hmm. on right but like you know the there are some people who are not characters, right? On mm-hmm. in the, in the way that like some of the bigger personalities who dominate either the edits early on or are in the end, right? The winners, right? Like Sandra is playing a very quiet game, right? But even playing a quiet game, you're like, oh, she's kind of a character. She's kind mm-hmm. of got like a thing going. Well, even Sari, who's quiet, says one of the best lines the whole season. <laughs> she says, "I'm a gangster in an Oprah suit." <laughs> <laughs> like, they, like they all are like worthy of watching on television. Yes, yes. I think one thing that, um, and we barely talked about James because he he you know we'll goes off it. pretty early. But one of the things that it took me a few episodes to notice, <laughs> but once I noticed it, I was like, oh, <laughs> is that James has a tongue piercing, and I feel like I've seen the season twice and never noticed. Yeah, I'm. I I would put money down on it. Like I think that. It just is like, there's just a very specific type of person who is like that jacked and then also has a tongue piercing. Mm -hmm. And then I also was thinking about how like really like, I feel like 2004 to 2014 was like, maybe, maybe a little earlier, like maybe like 2000 to 2014 was like the golden era for people getting tongue piercings who weren't like truly living an alternative lifestyle mm-hmm. like who were like cool girl energy or like hot guy and en- weirdo yeah. energy in some way but also it told me that that man is a fucking weirdo he mm-hmm. has a tongue piercing he's a weirdo mm-hmm. but anyway yeah i also you know the we also haven't touched at all on the very bad race politics <laughs> show <laughs> i mean get into your feelings about it i don't have much else to talk about so i mean i i think that like when I think it was most palpable in the physical challenges when James was matched up against particularly the older white men, it felt like I was moments away from watching even Tom, who was on the heroes team, right? Tom or Randy or even coach, honestly, like just dropping the N word just mm-hmm. in the middle of this tense, you know, moment, just saying it without without worrying about the consequences right and it's like pretty noticeable right that like the first people to go are the people of color are not the white people who are like fitting in and i think particularly when in one of the challenges james gets really out of sorts because they lose the heroes lose Mm -hmm. and he goes back to camp and what they say is that james is bullying everyone and that he's Mm -hmm. yelling at them and he's saying we were supposed to be working together and like what i see is a bunch of white people being afraid of a black man saying what is true in a way that is like not the way that white culture expresses anger or frustration mm. right like like he and i don't know what you know what made it seem like the edit what 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 was happening off camera whether or not he was really bullying people you know in things mm-hmm. that didn't make it into the cut but like the 
the the white fear of like black anger and frustration is very palpable in various different moments and in how yeah. like even even in how people talk to Sari or talk about Sari yeah. um on the show so he there there is um there is one moment i find unacceptable from him and it, he basically tells somebody to like fuck off yeah. like at the end of a challenge yeah. basically and it's not the words it's like what's going on in that yeah, moment sure but the times when he gets angry about challenges i'm like he's kind of right you guys he, yeah. like it, am i annoyed personally at the way he's delivering this sure yeah but like also you fucked up it's really obvious how you fucked up and he's telling you how you fucked up none of you are shutting up and listening to the person you put in charge which is rob yeah and i will say like as as like a white person observing and like naming experiences that i have noticed in like differences right is like the air the open airing of grievances is something that is distinctly different right Mm -hmm. between like cultural experiences Mm -hmm. um and like saying out loud how you feel when you're mad, yeah. <laughs> right? Like whatever the resolution of that is, right, is a little mm-hmm. bit like less the point here. But it just is. It's very yeah. I agree with you. I didn't. I didn't love his attitude always, but all of them like piling on him and being like, "Why are you acting like this? You're being so like out of control." Mm-hmm. I was like. No, we're, every we're one of you words. takes ten step back, take <laughs> yeah. ten steps back, and say, "Wow, you seem really upset." I think you know what you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think a good comparison is the way that they respond to Rob. Yeah. Right. Rob gets a lot more respect. Yeah. Right. Rob's an Italian man. He's darker skinned. Sure. Right. But he's perceived in a certain way that James is not. Yeah. Right. And. He also has cultural differences in the way that he presents those those arguments. Mm-hmm. And, like, everyone kind of takes him seriously about it. Even if they don't like him, even if they're pissed at him about him saying it, right? Yeah. They, like, give him the, the light of day. Yeah. In regards to the traitors in this show. Yeah. I think that at this point in sort of, like, my desire to watch this kind of reality te- television, I like the traitors more than I like Survivor. Yeah. And it's... It's because of the thing that I said in the Traders episode, which is that they have added the right structure on top of the basic formula of Survivor, right? So the formula of challenges and voting people out, right? Which we now see all over the place, right? Pressure cooker, great show. It's a cooking (laughs) show with a popularity contest on top of it, right? Loved it. It was Survivor, but they cook. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Like that exists everywhere, but what Traders does is add roles like like hidden role elements yeah. like from board games and from Among Us and yeah. all of the above to that formula and it clarifies a lot of like oh this is the strategy that works here you said earlier right. you're watching Suri and Sandra play the game they played on the traders on Survivor yeah right and it works and doesn't work for different reasons but the reason that it is so cross applicable. Right, is because the f- the formula is there. Right, the traders just like pulls it out of you. It right. forces a trader to play that game. Yeah, well, and I think too, right? It it makes more plain what some of like, like I will say, it feels like it does. It does take away a little bit from the surprise of the double cross for the viewer. Like, although not as much, right? Like because most often it feels like the double cross is something that like if you're a seasoned strategy show watcher you might see coming. I think there are some rare, like, surprise double crosses, right? Um, From what I know about Survivor and from the way that Jeff talks about it. But the, like, 
you know, the, the double cross element is such a fundamental part of what makes the drama work for the players. It, I think I agree with you that it feels good that they formalize it in the traders, right? To make it like a standard part of the show. Yeah. Well, I think that's what I have to say about Survivor. That is uh, another another joke that I want to bring back, but I haven't referenced in a while. Is that's that's what I can't let go of. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Matt. The last thing that I cannot let go of about Survivor, not to like steal go the spotlight it. here, is I can't stop thinking about how actually terrible reward is. Like I I guess maybe I don't know because I haven't done this, but what I know from being someone who sometimes struggles to eat for long periods of time because of any number of things, um, is that like then on the other side, and you hear them say it sometimes like, oh, you get full really quickly, right? Like your Mm -hmm. stomach shrinks in size over time, like any number of things. But also like, I can't stop thinking about how if you are surviving on coconut, giant clam, fish and whatever fish and chicken you can catch on the island and then suddenly you're eating foods that are full of fat that are full of salt that are full of sugar what is that doing to your body everything that makes anything good like i just i can't stop thinking about how liquid their shit must be And I'm so sorry. Who's gonna say it? (laughs) It's me. It's me. I can't stop thinking about it. Like they're poor GI tracks. My God. I mean, there are about a million reasons why I would never make it on Survivor, but my G, my very sensitive uh, GI tract is absolutely number one. Also, the times where they do give them alcohol. I'm like, you are dehydrated. How are you drinking that? So gross. Like, I can't, I would feel instant headache, right? Like, instantly want to vomit. I don't know. Yeah. I, the like I said, the thing that sticks with me from this season will always be that double immunity idol play. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what sticks out for a lot of people. And it's it may be why, like, future seasons, uh, there's, a, there's a whole era called the big moves era. Because um, Jeff likes to call stuff like that big moves. It's a big move from poverty. But people came on to the show, like, ready for a big move. Right? Interesting. Like, there's a culture around Survivor now of people coming on the show having watched it for 20 years. Right. Yeah. Right? Even, like... Sandra I mean, was the original version of that. Yeah, and I think like even it comes up in Heroes versus Villains. Um, at one point, James and Colby are like kind of beefing over how they're doing in the challenges, and he says, "Man, this is not the Colby that I watched in season mm-hmm. two, right?" Mm-hmm. So there are people right who have watched the show and then decided they wanted to be on the show and then have come back. So I think it's a yeah. big element of it. It's very interesting. I will say people don't like the big moves era because uh, most of the moves are kind of pointless and people just trying to do something. Yeah. Like not even, not even as stupid as JT's move of giving the (laughs) idol to to the other team. Like just like they didn't land. Iconic buffoonery from JT. That is, mm -hmm. I'll never forget that. (laughs) Well, do we know what we're doing next time? Are we doing something a little different next time? Oh, we do know what we're doing next we time. We do know what we're totally doing next time. It's something really different. It's something really exciting. cool. And I don't want to spoil it right now. We aren't going to tell you. <laughs> we aren't going to tell you. So you'll just have to listen to the next episode. We really hope you'll tune in. It's something very exciting. Something I think that in many iterations of um, Dreaming Up podcasts that Matt and I have come up with before this one, um, a format that was a, another potential. So I'm mm-hmm. excited. Um, yeah. For us to... For y'all to hear our next episode. 
I'm thrilled. Um, and you'll get to hear a little about a little bit about what AC and I were up to right before the pandemic. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right before my entire life collapsed in on itself. <laughs> Oof. Well, where can people find you on the internet? Matt, I have an update. You have an update. You can find me on Twitter at AC Fachi, and you can find me on Blue Sky. Oh, hey. <laughs> you can find me on Blue Sky. I need to follow um, you. And it is my user is, do I even know? Yes. You can find me on Blue Sky at acfachi.bsky.social. Sweet. I will follow you there as well. I don't know if my Blue Sky is linked on my on my website. I probably should. I, don't I should probably get a, a website. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, my website is matthorton.live. That's where you can find my shit. <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you again to Scout for the art and to my friend Ethan uh, at Pragmatism on Twitter for our music, which you're probably hearing right now. And we'll talk to y'all later. Talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>